Well, good morning and welcome to Treasures of Faith. You may all know this is a local production of Divine Mercy Radio. I'm your host, Bill Gent, and I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I'm joined by Father Ben Berinti, and Father Ben is the pastor of Immaculate Conception Parish in Melbourne uh, Beach. And each Tuesday during this Advent, he'll be joining us, uh, really exploring Advent with St. Luke. And we're looking at four questions that are posed in Luke chapter 1. Last week, Father Ben, we looked at the question posed by Zechariah, how can I know this? And so I know some of our listeners perhaps did not hear our program last week. They can certainly access it at divinemercyradio.com. Just click on podcasts and they'll be able to hear uh, that program that we had last Tuesday. Father Ben, again, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be here again, joining you and uh, joining our listeners and really trying to to celebrate and open up this uh, Advent season. We talked last week about how it you know, kind of gets neglected, uh, maybe not purposely all the time, but so many things going on. You know, cookies to bake, uh, pageants to go to, Christmas trees to sell, you know, (laughs) all the things that are part of the season, gifts to buy, charities to help take care of. uh, So hopefully in some small way, this kind of little mini retreat you and Mm -hmm. I are doing together here for our listeners will will help open up that that this season in a a beautiful way. And there's no better place to turn than certainly the scriptures uh, to really immerse ourselves in the scriptures, uh, everything that's available to us in in this season because it is such a rich, uh, rich tradition. Uh, and, you know, as Catholics, we we still have a long way to go with uh, opening up the scriptures. In fact, this morning, uh, when I was doing a session in my uh, parish on this very same topic, I, I had said to people last week, I said, you know, this is this is a kind of a Bible study, so it's helpful to actually bring a Bible uh, with you. So, <laughs> You're talking um, to Catholics now, Yeah, Father. so it's like, uh, yeah, so they show up this week. Uh, a couple of people had a Bible, and then the rest felt guilty that they didn't bring a Bible, but they had their Word Among Us and their, you know, <laughs> other, other booklet, and they opened that up and said, well, at least we have the Word of God somehow on a piece of paper. Yes. So anyway, we'll— Luke is a great place for us to spend these uh, couple of weeks in Advent. And I really enjoyed our uh, time last week talking about Zechariah, who is often overlooked. You know, though he's mentioned uh, typically every Advent, but uh, to see how Zechariah's interaction with the Lord really does set the stage, not only for Advent, but also for the Christmas story itself. Right. Uh, you know, there there is Zachariah right there, front and center, you know, really the first person we encounter in this series of uh, narratives prior to the infancy of, of Christ. And uh, and so we, we, we kind of know his story, but uh, who we're going to be meeting today, we want to leapfrog sort of over Zachariah, go to Mary and, you know, kind of begin the story there. So um, really getting in touch with Zechariah, his encounter, his experience with God. And I think as we shared last week, you know, when we do think of Zechariah, we tend to kind of wag a scolding finger at him for, mm-hmm. for not believing. And mm-hmm. then that's kind of the end of it. And then we move on to the rest of the, the characters. But I think as we found last week, um, there's, there's a really rich story. And Luke is purposely, purposely uh, introducing us to this figure um, he could have started with any of these people, mm. um, but he begins there uh, because this is an important piece of the story, and not just because, well, John the Baptist has to come along, and so let's hear about him. There's there's something about the encounter mm-hmm. with God that Zechariah has 
that Luke wants it to be instructional mm-hmm. uh, for us, for his readers. And, and we see this progression in a sense, mm-hmm. Father, because the gospel opens with the story of Zechariah, and now we move to the story of a very humble woman, and they both ask, and we're looking at the question that Mary poses, it's a similar question, but her response is so different. Yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> one of the ways I think to look at it is, you know, Luke's second question, which we'll get to momentarily um, in his telling of the birth of Jesus, it gets certainly a happier response from Gabriel <laughs> than yes. the one that, yes. that uh, Zachariah gets. So the first question, uh, but they are, we'll see today, they are similar in many ways, uh, but but different, not mm only in response on the part of these two people, uh, but in the actual question itself. And uh, one of the things I would invite in in our conversation today, um, and for our listeners too, and I think I would say this about any time we are in the presence of the Word of God, is that we do tend to have a bit of an over-familiarity with Mm -hmm. many of the more striking stories of the Mm -hmm. Scriptures. And so I would invite us today as you and I explore... um, this encounter with Mary, talk about over-familiar. I mean, you know, more artwork has probably been created in the history of Western art, and not only Western art, but Eastern art as well, of the Annunciation. Mm -hmm. So we think we know it. Mm -hmm. Uh, How many times do we pray the Magnificat? We pray it in the prayer of the church every day. So so we may be kind of entering this story today, much like uh, Good Samaritan, uh, you know, other stories and things. Prodigal son. Prodigal son, like, oh yeah, I know where that's going. Mary, she's great. Fiat, yes. End of story. (laughs) Let's let's move on. So I would invite um, our listeners to to enter the story today with us uh, with kind of fresh eyes, uh, fresh ears, and let, I think one of the things we are increasingly trying to learn how to do is let's let the scripture, let's let what Luke has written speak for itself first mm-hmm. and then see where it takes us because what we do is we we sort of impose all of our you know Marian theology and mm-hmm. all of those sort of things we kind of like shove it back on top of the story mm-hmm. um, and then we lose so so much of the story so coming at it today um, with with eyes of let's put ourselves in the reality of what is happening here then I think Mary's question and her response just just becomes even more uh, fruitful You know, as I, uh, just reflecting back for just a moment as we move on to our second question, what that uh, story really spoke to me when I looked at Zechariah, recognizing he was much older, obviously, than, than Mary, I thought about how we, as we get older, sometimes instead of being more pliable, more open to God, we become harder and we, we, we become uh, perhaps uh, less malleable in a sense. You know, we, we, we think we already know how God is going to interact with us. We have certain expectations or perhaps a lack of expectations. And certainly we are less open to surprise in our lives. We think we've already seen it. But here in the story of Mary, Father, Certainly, that very much challenges us, no matter what age we may be. No, I would agree with that. I think in many ways, um, uh, and maybe we'll kind of touch on this later, it's getting a little bit ahead of the game, but uh, um, in relation to what you're just saying is that I think one of the most, the clearest difference in response that Zechariah gives, Mary gives, 
Uh, again, if we strip back to the story itself, let's look at the people. And precisely, Zechariah is the older, experienced priest. How many times have I gone to the temple? How many prayers have I said? Uh, you know, I sort of know all this stuff. Mary, 12, 13, 14, whatever, how old. It's the nature of the young person to be mm -hmm. much more open, inquisitive, mm -hmm. wondering. And so, uh, in many ways, I think, at least the initial level of just on the human level, is Mary reacts much more inquisitively and openly because that's the nature of mm -hmm. someone in her her stage of life. Yes. It doesn't mean that, you know, so let's pit old against young. No, I don't think that's the, the no. point. But there is, uh, and as the word I used earlier, I think in all of our spiritual journeys, and I think what's being challenged uh, certainly by the season of Advent and certainly our, our visit with Mary today is over-familiarity. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw that with Zachariah last week is, yeah, mm -hmm. I've been a priest my life. This is a privileged position. How many times have I gone into that temple and said these prayers and done these motions and you know, I, I, I just kind of figured out how God works and doesn't work. And, and, and you, you get sort of stuck uh, in that reality you've created about God. And then when God comes to surprise people, um, we're not really in for surprises. Mm -hmm. Or we, we have all kind of baggage. We talked about that last week. We bring a lot of baggage with us. And then right away, it's like, oh, that can't be. Or no, God never worked that way with me before or whatever it is. And so today, certainly in this, this young child, literally, mm -hmm. who uh, gets approached by the same angel, uh, Gabriel, um, is going to have a different response. And I think we'll see that that can be our response too, no matter where we are on the, on the spiritual journey or the, the chronological age mm. chart. Well, Father, set the scene for us. Uh, we have this uh, young girl, she's barely a woman, and Gabriel approaches her. And as he approaches her and announces himself, uh, eventually she has this question and the question is, again, is very similar to Zacharias, but take us through the story. Well, one of the things that um, we recognize about uh, Luke, and uh, certainly in the Gospels, but also in his Acts of the Apostles, is Luke likes to uh, put contrasting people and experiences side by side. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the beautiful things I find about uh, the writings of Luke is Luke uh, and we see it right here from the beginning, he populates his good news, his glad tidings, with all kinds of people. And they are people who are on a variety of spiritual paths and journeys. Mm -hmm. And what I love about Luke is he gives us many entry points for ourselves in the story. Mm -hmm. So, for example, take, you know, the classic... Um, uh, prodigal son. Well, I can be the son. Today, I'm the prodigal son. Uh, tomorrow, I'm the elder son. Uh, one day, I'm much more spiritually together, and I'm the father really mm -hmm. welcoming people back. Or uh, one day, I'm the guy on the side of the road needing help. Another day, I'm a Levite. Uh, mm -hmm. So here at the beginning of his story, he's he gives us Zachariah, and then he's immediately going to present somebody else who's going to say, here's another way of looking at an encounter with God. And, and he does it right from the very beginning of each of these stories. So recall, when we meet Zechariah, we have this kind of very florid, uh, florid introduction. In, in the reign of Herod, king of Judea, so it's already setting the story in this sort of glamorous uh, Roman occupation, uh, 
Zechariah has some notoriety. He is a priest of the Lord. He has great notoriety on this day because he's going into the Holy of Holies. And then in Luke 1, 26, he begins what is going to be now the story of Gabriel's encounter with Mary simply by saying, in the sixth month, Mm. the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. Of course, the sixth month is Elizabeth's sixth Mm -hmm. month. So he Mm -hmm. links the two stories. But no, no, no flourish He now comes, Gabriel comes not to the center of the Holy of Holies, but he comes to a place, quite frankly, to a place that hardly anybody knows, anybody cares about, to a young woman who is insignificant up to this point, not unlike every single 12 or 13-year-old doing her thing. But on this particular day, in this unknown place, God chooses to show up. So right from the beginning... We enter into Mary's story already with great simplicity, uh, just not a whole lot of baggage uh, with it. And then comes this incredible greeting. Favored one. Mm. Greetings, favored one. That word, that expression in the New Testament is only used twice. So it's a very highly unusual, and Mary herself <laughs> reacts uh, in that kind of way, like, oh my gosh, what, what could right. this mean? But he greets her as favored one. So there is this sense of shock. Her world is turning upside down. But one of the things we see Mary again contrasts with Zachariah is this is still a moment of great joy. Mm -hmm. There's an incredible amount of joy here. And then he does, and we'll come back to this a little bit later on, he does what Luke wants to make sure people know in his gospel, and that is the assurance of God's presence. So Gabriel says, Greetings, highly favored one. The Lord is Mm. with you. Mm. No matter what is about to happen, all you got to know is that. Mm -hmm. And if you know that and you embrace that, that the Lord is with you, favored by God, Lord is with you, it makes everything else that's going to come from now on a heck of a lot easier. Absolutely. And the whole idea that this very simple girl is favored by God, you know, really reminds us that we're all favored by God, but she's going to have a very special role. And so as he announces that she is favored, he's also going to suggest something that's going to change history. (laughs) It's earth shattering. This is this is not, you know, you're just going to live a good life and, you know, you're highly favored and By the way, why don't you reach out to your neighbor? This is something that's going to impact the future. This is going to impact the salvation of the world. Absolutely. Uh, And we'll uh, maybe explore this a little bit more later. But so let's, you know, let's let's get the sort of the obvious out. And that is, yes, this is an incredibly unique moment in history. So that's saying a lot. And. Unfortunately, though, having said that and admitted that, that I think is sometimes on our own spiritual quest and our embrace of the scriptures and and our own relationship with God is then that's where we stop. So we say, okay, this is Mary's moment. There's nothing like it for me. So therefore, considering am I favored by God? Does does God have a task for me? Well, nothing could compare to this unique moment. So we, we somehow have to hold both of those things. We, we, we don't have to deny that it's a unique moment for Mary or build it into an impenetrable mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, mm-hmm. again, 
back to the theme of, of our weeks together is that's what Luke is trying to do. He's saying, yes, this, this is a unique moment. And after our break, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the personal application for us. This is a unique moment. But by the questions that these people pose, that is our entree mm-hmm. into where is God moving uh, in our life. So, you know, Gabriel sets her up. She is obviously uh, perplexed, um, astonished. Um, but the one thing about Mary in comparison to Zechariah is she does not appear to be, in the language of Luke here, she does not appear to be fearful. Zechariah is fearful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mary, startled, yes, but not really fearful. Immediately what we hear, and Luke tells us, she began to think about this. Ponder it. She she didn't like crawl into a hole. It's just like, hmm, what what can this mean? And that is what gives rise to the question that Mary poses is how can this be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How can this be? But she says it, uh, and we'll see this in a moment. You know, Zachariah's question was really a question of trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a question of power. Um, in other words, in a sense, Zachariah was kind of saying, all right, who's in charge here? Right. Remember, mm-hmm. we, we, we talked last week that the, the question Zechariah poses is something like, how can I know this? Mm-hmm. Closer to the original Greek is a, a little bit stronger, and it comes off more like, you know, based on what? <laughs> Which is more like, prove it. Right. <laughs> you know, pr- pr- prove it to me. <laughs> kind of in your face, yeah, sort of. So it, it, it's, yeah, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's a bit stronger. Mary's is more a sense of wonder. Mm-hmm. And again, perhaps given her age, uh, her stage in life, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll take the next step with you. But can I ask, like, h- how exactly is this going to be? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's definitely a, a, a difference there. Mary's question is, comes out more innocently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think less self-protecting mm-hmm. than uh, Zachariah. And what I'm struck by, Father, is the simplicity of this whole event. Because as you said, with Zechariah, it's a little more, I guess, um, you know, uh, striking. But with Mary, it's, it's, it's as if, it's almost as if, does Luke understand that when you're, you know, you're, you're, you're building a story, you build over time with greater intensity? And, but here he seems to uh, approach Zechariah, and then all of a sudden we have this kind of very simple story. And it's, the simplicity is what jumps out at me as I read Luke chapter 1. Absolutely. And, and <clears throat> if, we, if we take a look at um, Luke in general, okay, so bring up your favorite Luke and gospel stories. And many people might not even know that most of the stories we know as parables, they come from Luke. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if you think about this, one of you know Luke's favorite themes, and it shows up in really both of his books, the Gospel as well as Acts, is this whole business about God's presence, but especially where does one find God's presence? The poor, mm. the lonely, mm-hmm. the widow, the mm-hmm. orphan, the humble. And so he wants to keep driving this presence of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit home throughout all of his writings, and he begins kind of the infancy narratives are really sort of the introduction. So it's like reading a book. You, you get a little flavor of what's coming by, by reading the introduction. So Luke is doing this. So what he does with Zechariah and his encounter is, geez, 
shouldn't that be the most obvious place of God's presence? Right. Temple, holy of holies, mm-hmm. once in a lifetime incense burning, you know, all of that. Ark of the Covenant, mm-hmm. the tablets, the you know, the whole thing. And yet, this is the place. Someone schooled in this is struggling to see God's presence. And yet, Mary almost immediately is much more open to this could be very well the presence of God um, in a place that is less obvious. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be a pattern for Luke. And I think that's that's part of our, the beauty of us being welcomed into it is Luke wants to say the places you think. It's not yep. that God isn't there because, mm-hmm. again, God was in the temple that day in the person of Gabriel. I stand before God. Um, and God is there here again, but in incredible simplicity so I think you're right in terms of storytelling. How about save the fanfare for, for later? But Luke is purposely trying to say is, you know, what happens is sometimes for us it's the fanfare, mm-hmm. <laughs> the expectation of the most obvious that gets in the way mm-hmm. of real spiritual encounters and real encounters with God. I think what the story also illustrates is the significance of childlike faith because, you know, even now when we think of the Blessed Mother, you know, we think of her as being the queen of heaven, you know, and yet we're often reminded, and of course we're going to talk about over-familiarity with this, but it does remind us of the importance of our embracing, not a childish faith, but a childlike faith. And that is clearly illustrated by, you know, our, our mother. Right. And I think if you, I think this scene in particular, there are others, but this scene in particular, I think if we really uh, pray on it, study it, helps us better understand what we mean by that childlike faith. Because again, mm-hmm. our, our go-to thing is like, well, yeah, look at the faith of uh, the, these little ones and their excitement at Christmas and Christmas is for children. And one thing is clear from the scriptures is Christmas is not for children. <laughs> it's for grownups. <laughs> now, I love celebrating with kids as much as anybody. Sure. And I like the look on the face of my goddaughters at Christmas and seeing the kids on Santa Claus's lap and in the Christmas pageant and mm-hmm. gently carrying in the baby Jesus. So it's not that I'm poo-pooing any of that, but it's it's an incredibly adult story. Yeah. But I, so we, we sometimes get twisted up about, well, I, I can't, I'm not a child anymore. How mm-hmm. can I have childlike faith? I think what Mary shows us is uh, in this scene, it's not just her age. It's what childlike faith is composed of is a faith that's open to wonder, mm-hmm. that still looks to be amazed, mm-hmm. that is still saying, I, I'll go along with you and I'm open. Show me what this is going to look like. How this, how can this be? Mm-hmm. So... Um, I, I think an understanding of what is it like to have the faith of a child, and Luke will be one who will take us into those circles later on in the gospel, mm-hmm. uh, setting the child in front of Jesus. Uh, this is what faith is all about. So I think she does show us what a healthy um, childlike faith is because it's about, it's not about age. It's not about, there is an innocence here, mm-hmm. but it's an innocence that's born of uh, wonder, uh, enthusiasm, uh, excitement about what God can do, uh, and sometimes just the littlest thing um, bringing a smile to your face. I think th- this is we're, we're getting schooled in, in childlike faith uh, you know, er- early on. There's also what Luke is doing for us also, Father, as I read it, is we're being exposed 
evermore to the emergence of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's role is in our salvation history. And Luke is, uh, that's where we get the whole descent of the Holy Spirit from. Uh, So he's the proponent of that in the gospel, in Acts of the Apostles. And one of Luke's favorite expressions throughout the gospels is that a person or people are full of or the expression is filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And right from the get-go, this is going to be Angel Gabriel's response. Mary's, how can this be? You will be overshadowed by the Most High. That term, overshadowed, that word, appears in the synoptics only one One other time, and that's in the Transfiguration. Mm. So you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and this is, in a sense, the meaning of, we hear, full of grace that we'll hear later on from another character about Mary is the power of the Holy Spirit is already Luke is putting Holy Spirit front and center Mm -hmm. Um, and that Mary then is going to carry this this very presence of God this unique incarnation of God in her womb in her own person the holy of holies The footstool of God is no longer in a temple uh, Mm. with incense burning around it. It's in the womb of a human being Mm -hmm. uh, in her own body. And so Mary becomes a living tabernacle. So Zachariah was in the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. Now the tabernacle shifts from temple worship and sacrifice and all these other things into the body of a young woman Mm. who completely now opens herself Uh, to this demanding trust. It's a demanding trust that Gabriel is putting in front of her to give herself, her body, her future, completely and fully to God. But how does it happen? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And and you and I know well that uh, I like to say nothing happens in the church. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Nothing happens sacramentally. The, the, The Eucharist doesn't even become Eucharist on the table until we call down the mm. Holy Spirit upon mm. it. So nothing happens in the church without mm. the Holy Spirit. And so certainly the birth of the Savior is not going to happen without the Holy Spirit. So uh, Luke is front and center, puts the Holy Spirit already, boom, right at the beginning. You know, in her, her question, Father, how can this be? It's, it's an innocent question. It's a valid question. But you can almost, and I don't want to read too much between the lines, but it illustrates her openness to it. You know, and, and that's something that I think that every one of us as Catholics, as Christians overall, we have to kind of maintain that kind of openness, but it's always challenged by all of the distractions of this life. So when we're talking about Advent, you know, we may all have great intentions this Advent to be more open, but we get so easily distracted. What we see in Mary again is that the innocence uh, is certainly on parade here, but her openness is so refreshing. And often every Advent we have an opportunity to revisit this so that we can uh, hopefully uh, you know, imitate her. Yeah, I think uh, when we come back from our uh, break in a few moments that um, we'll, we'll kind of explore a little bit more about exactly this kind of thing. How, how is this applying to, uh, you know, applying to us? But you remember her response, so how will this be? And he gives her the information on you'll be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. This child is to be called Son of God, so forth and so on. And her final words to Gabriel are, let it be done to me. Mm. 
let it be done to me, not let me do it, Mm -hmm. uh, let me run with it, uh, let me figure out what to do. Just simply this incredible, mm-hmm. speak about openness, mm-hmm. this incredible openness and vulnerability. That That's sort of, to me, it's as if Mary is holding a key to a door that Gabriel is standing in front of. Literally, the do- and many of the uh, Annunciation um, images that artists have paint. So, you know, get on the Internet after our show today and start pulling up images through all mm-hmm. periods of, of history of uh, the Annunciation. Mary is often pictured framed by a doorway. And those images often in traditional art are meant to both represent the doorway into which God is going to enter. The doorway is usually representative of the actual doorway of Mary's womb Mm -hmm. in which the Savior will be contained. And so this whole image of of doorway with Gabriel, and he stands outside of this frame most of the time. Mm. Mary's the one framed in the doorway. And it's almost as if Gabriel is at the door, and then the key that Mary is going to insert to open the door to this Holy Spirit, because she has to consent like all people do. Mm-hmm. Uh, is let it be done to me. And with those words, uh, the way is now opened mm-hmm. for the Holy Spirit to enter her. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what a powerful confession uh, to openness. Um, so certainly where we are in that spectrum of openness, where we are during uh, this season, that's what we'll be taking a look at mm-hmm. shortly. That's why our Blessed Mother is such a wonderful example and our greatest saint for certain. Well, you're listening to Treasures of Faith, and I'm joined by Father Ben Berinti. And we're exploring Advent with St. Luke the Evangelist, looking at the question posed by our Blessed Mother from Luke chapter 1. We're going to take a break, and on the other side, we'll continue our discussion. Well, welcome back to Treasures of Faith. I'm joined by Father Ben Berinti. We're in the midst of our Advent series, Exploring Advent with St. Luke the Evangelist. Last week, we looked at a question posed by Zechariah, and this week, we're looking at this uh, amazing question posed by Mary. But, Father, I want to begin by saying, you know, Mary only poses one question. I would have had about 20 Uh, And we concluded the last half hour by her saying, let it be done to me or let it be done according uh, to thy word. I mean, I'm just blown away by her openness to what is being suggested by the angel Gabriel. Yeah, incredible. I mean, openness. And again, as we were talking, uh, you know, before the break is that, okay, so where do we come in uh, to this picture? Um, Yes. Again, an incredibly unique moment in history. So uh, we do have to ask ourselves, you know, is there any place for us to step into this experience, uh, to step into the experience of the question in our own lives? Um, and I think one of the first observations I would agree with, if it were if it were me, I'd be like, I certainly wouldn't be limiting myself to one question. No, <laughs> uh, There'd be a lot more. And I, you know, by nature, I'm a detailed person. I, I like detail and I like, you know, pieces fitting together and outlining things and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I probably would have had a, a, you know, a series of of questions, even in the midst of some kind of fantastic experience. Um, Or, you know, are we doomed, as we sometimes think about meeting people, the scriptures, are we doomed to simply, you know, admire Mary from a distance? Mm -hmm. Well, I could, I admire that. Um, Mm -hmm. It reminds me of one of the things that the great uh, 
founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, Dorothy Day, once said, she said, you know, please don't ever make me a saint uh, because then people will have nothing to do with me. <laughs> Meaning that, what a great I, mean, quote. I mean, they might pray yeah. to me and yeah, you know, right. offer some incense to me. But they'll keep me at a distance. But they'll keep me at a distance. They'll cast me in plaster, put mm-hmm. me up on a pedestal, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, put me around the ring of uh, you know, the Vatican porticos. Around a dashboard and then or on something. On a dashboard, <laughs> and that'll kind of be the end of it. So... Uh, so, you know, we could we don't want to Luke doesn't want us to admire Mary from a distance. He wants us to enter in because this is mm-hmm. good news for, for us, mm-hmm. too. But again, you know, what, what is our openness? And you mentioned earlier about we have great intentions. Uh, and then life intrudes and life wants to intrude even more during the holiday season because we have so many uh, different things going on, many of them really valuable. And again, we I think we sometimes get caught into it's either all about extra Advent activities, and then we have to ignore everything that smacks of of the Christmas season. And then we get caught in a really in an endless uh, cycle. It's kind of mm-hmm. like a dog chasing its own tail. It, you know, we don't grow in our Advent spirit by disparaging everything around us (laughs) what we do is we try to find the god who wants to work with us in the middle of some of this hecticness Mm -hmm. uh the sadness that many people are experiencing i know in my own parish this will be for many widows and winners this is their first christmas without a spouse uh some uh just within the last couple of days Mm. uh and so you know how is god moving in there because that really is the question of mary and i think that's where you and i can enter into it is where are the places that God might, that I have some sense that God is stirring in my life? Mm. And then can I look to Mary's question and her response and see if there's something instructive there for me or the strength to move forward? So, uh, so Mary, is, Mary is experiencing an encounter with God, indeed unique, uh, unlike any that you and I will have. Uh, one of my um, favorite uh, poets um, is a gal by the name of Denise Levertoff, and I'll, I'll, if we have the time, I'd like to share a little bit specifically, a little more content of this poem. It's called The Annunciation. But, but for our purposes now, I just want to share, she asked the question in this poem, but aren't there annunciations happening all around us? Mm. There are annunciations about God wanting to come into your life and my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the time in mm-hmm. Advent, in Christmas, mm-hmm. uh, in the dog days of August, uh, in the middle of a hurricane, uh, wh- whatever it happens to be. But the call of the season for us is to be attentive to that. So our challenge is, yes, indeed, there are annunciations that are God is knocking on the door of your life and my life in many, many different kinds of ways. What is my availability? What's your mm-hmm. availability? Mm-hmm. Mary shows us availability uh, but the challenge is, wh- where am I in that mm-hmm. availability? But Father, as people of faith, you know, and you, you reminded us of this last week, that growing spiritually is all about kind of waking up to the very presence of God in our lives, no matter where we are. You know, uh, certainly it's wonderful to be at Mass or in adoration, whatever the case may be, but God is present to us everywhere and he wants to make himself known to us. I think for many of us, though, and we're talking about the season of Advent, in the busyness of it all, we may see a nativity scene. We may see something that reminds us of our faith and of our traditions. 
But even in those moments of clarity, we somehow think that, well, I'm just me. You know, I'm not favored by God in the way that this wonderful woman was or that St. Joseph was or certainly the baby Jesus was. I'm not as favored. And yet in reality, as we enter into the story, we are favored by God. We are favored by God simply because that is the source of our life and being. As Catholics, we are favored by God by the gift of baptism, uh, by the graces of the Holy Spirit through confirmation, the graces received in the sacrament of marriage. Uh, every day, the, the outpouring of God's uh, grace is, is you know, coming our way, and how to be attentive to that uh, amidst, no matter what the season is, there's always seasons of distraction. Um, so how, how to recognize that, to really uh, own that, uh, the spiritual writer Henry Nouwen uh, wrote a beautiful book sort of about this precise challenge. It's called uh, The Life of the Beloved. And he, he feeds off of the experience of, of God, uh, of Jesus, where uh, at the time of the baptism and then also, of course, at the uh, transfiguration, he is identified as, you are my beloved son. Well, by virtue of baptism, we are beloved sons and daughters mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in the same way that Jesus was the son of God, but, but we are beloved sons and daughters of God. I tell people every time you dip your hand in a holy water font, that's what you're proclaiming. Mm-hmm. But over familiarity uh, turns it into some sort of protective talisman or <laughs> whatever it happens to be. Here. <laughs> yeah, some kind of ma- magic uh, little potion or something like that. But we, we are all the beloved of God, full of grace, filled with grace filled with opportunities of, of annunciations that God wants to give us. And again, the question for us is like, how available am I? Mary makes herself available. Mm-hmm. This is the great testimony she gives. You know, maybe I can't, don't have the wherewithal to make myself as available as her. Mm-hmm. Maybe last week I was pretty available, but this week I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, I was all set to really be available and to do my part for God. And then all of a sudden, uh, my daughter's in a car accident. Uh, my husband takes ill. Um, other things are happening around me. Uh, you know, I've got relatives coming to fill the house and the washer and the dryer decide to break down at the same time. And when I try to figure out how am I going to replace those, guess what? The refrigerator just went mm-hmm. as well. They all so, come in threes. So, you know, so exactly. It's very Trinitarian. <laughs> yes. <you know. laughs> so uh, there's always things happening around us, but this incredible availability. So I think in many ways to me, the question that Mary is posing, you know, how will this be? Uh, Let it be done to me, uh, shows a great sense of giving herself over to God. And Mm. of course, no one does this more perfectly than her. She gives the entire body. Yes. Soul. She gives it all. She gives it all. Uh, But the question then bounces back to you and I, is there room in my life for God? Mm. Mm. I I think our quick answer would be, well, of course there is. But then when we start really looking at, okay, how am I spending this day? Even as people are listening right now, yes, there's room in my life for God because I'm tuning into Divine Mercy Radio and I'm sure and and I'm doing my part. This is great. (laughs) You know, thank you. Thank you for that. And, And we need these kinds of out-of-the-box moments of life mm-hmm. where, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. this is my little oasis. You know, hearing Bill and hearing guests and, and, and some of the other things that we get in the, the, you know, the programming of the station is like, yeah, that, that's the little oasis, and we need our oases, and we need them during Advent. Please mm-hmm. make 
Oasis for you because no one's going to give it to you. I'll no, tell you that right no. now. No one is going to give it to you. You've got to seize it and, and, and use whatever, whether it's five minutes, 50 minutes, uh, whatever it happens to be. We, we, have to, we have to take that for ourselves. But I think what Mary does is she is also in tune with what is happening right there in the moment. Another wonder, uh, one of the many wonderful depictions of Mary and much of the religious artwork of the Annunciation is also she is often pictured with an open book in her mm. hand. Mm. And the open book is she's open to the Word. Mm. She's open to the Word of God. And because of being in tune with the Word of God, that Word is about to be made flesh mm-hmm. in her. It's moving from angel, from temple, from book to flesh. Um, so she surrounds herself uh, with the beauty of knowing that God has showed up before uh, and God is showing up again. But what she's doing is it's right in the middle of whatever else she was doing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, again, we have these little vignettes. We have the scriptures that sort of take people out of time. But Mary is very much, we get less description of it, but she's not unlike Zachariah. Zachariah's in the middle of daily duties mm-hmm. and in the midst of the daily duty he gets to be the lucky one chosen for the so you know who, who knows i mean so our, our our artistic work of mary is there she is quietly pondering and an angel appears or a ray of light mm-hmm. is coming through the window i mean who knows maybe she was in the middle of making the dinner or mm-hmm. uh, doing some laundry or going up and picking up sticks or mm-hmm. uh, and that i think is our challenge is how is god coming not just in the the little oases but <laughs> On the journey to the oasis. Mm -hmm. How is God showing up and going to the doctors this morning, picking up the kids from school, um, wrapping the presents, baking the cookies, uh, trying to find the cheapest turkey for the dinner? Uh, (laughs) Just, you know, all the just all the kind of regular stuff we're doing is where am I open for God in that particular moment? That, that's that's our Advent uh, challenge, I and, think, And big rightly time. so. When we're thinking about Advent, we're thinking about, you know, a, a busy time. But every time is busy, you know, especially in our modern culture. And so I, I, I mentioned just uh, a couple of moments ago, Father, about these moments of clarity where we might sense that we are favored by God. But then when it comes to availability, you know, we quickly dismiss our availability because we always come up with an excuse that, well, I'm favored by God. But, you know, that Father Ben, he's real special. He's the one that's being favored by God. He's the one that's being challenged to do something very specific that can't in any way be the challenge for me or if I do discover the challenge I'll find another way to excuse myself because I don't sense that I'm up to the task right I mean that's the the easiest thing and um, I, I can certainly assure everybody else um, on the this whatever the spiritual uh, levels or so forth uh, looks can be deceiving <laughs> so we have to be <laughs> we have to be careful about the I mean it's nice to admire people get some some strength for them uh, be inspired I mean I'm constantly inspired by parishioners in many many different ways uh, in my life and I you know there I am presiding at the Lord's table and I would hope that many priests would say the same thing is there we are presiding at the Eucharistic table and I'm seeing a heck of a lot more faith in front of me mm-hmm. than coming fr- from me mm-hmm. Um, so th- that sort of comparison game is a dangerous one. It's a but dangerous, we all do it. Yeah, Father. it's a dangerous yeah. one in life in general. It's yes. even more dangerous, I think, in the spiritual life. But you're right. I think what it does subconsciously, even if we believe it with all our heart, and yeah, I mean, I can. There are people, you know, you and I know, and say like, yeah, they have come a lot further, or they've done a lot more work 
than I have done. And so, yes, I can admire them, and I have to realize, you know, I've got more to do as well. But to then use that to dismiss ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, t- and I think that's what we often do subconsciously. Mm-hmm. It's kind of our escape mm-hmm. valve, because once you say that, once mm-hmm. you say, well, I can't be so-and-so, well, then you're out of the picture. And, uh, th- th- you know, there's, a, there's a, a very common story that's often told, and I think whoever said this, uh, it's— uh, it passes around from person to person. So in other words, one day it's Pope Francis said this. No, it was actually Teresa of Calcutta that said it. Oh. No, I think it was Catherine of Siena who said it. So it doesn't really matter who said it. But the story goes like this is, you know, all this comparison in the spiritual life. So the day you and I hopefully get to heaven, the thing that God is going to ask you, is going to ask me, is not why you weren't Francis de Sales or why you weren't, uh, you know, Ignatius of Loyola, or why weren't you Catherine of Siena, or why weren't you Teresa of Calcutta, or why weren't you John Paul II? They're going to say, why weren't you Bill Gent? Mm-hmm. Why weren't you Ben Berenti? Mm-hmm. You know, why weren't you Bob Groppy? It's not about comparing people. It's right. going to be about why were you and I not the people that God mm. crafted us to be in our faith journey? God isn't going to be interested in, you know, uh, kind of, putting a template over top of us. So it's it's who we are and who we're going to be. Mm-hmm. Mary is who she was. Zachariah was who he was. Uh, Peter, James, John, the, the you know that ragtag bunch of uh, apostles, they were <laughs> for better or worse who they were and 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 so are we. So Mary gives us this example that we're all called to be available mm-hmm. uh, to God. Uh, the question is how are we coming to receive the grace and favor? Uh, before we went on the air this morning, I was making reference to a, a quotation about how sometimes we just go to God with too small expectations. And I said, you know, gosh, I wish I could remember where that came from. Well, it's actually in a paper right in front of me. <laughs> so the, the spiritual writer is Simon Tugwell. And, and this is what he said. Our part in life is to learn to want largely and earnestly enough It is no good coming to God with a thimble. God has nothing less to give us than everything. Mm. And I think we see this in Mary. We saw it in Zechariah, even with his foibles, is the, the challenge is because of either, I don't know, some false humility or, you know, just negative personality traits we have. Maybe we grew up not appreciated enough and not affirmed enough and so we're struggling most of our life now never thinking we measure up whatever the issue is but we often come to god with such little expectation Mm -hmm. as tugwell says it's like god wants to give us everything and we're saying could you by chance have enough to fill this little (laughs) thimble you know could you fill if you want to really go big it's like can you fill my espresso cup with something (laughs) (laughs) you know and god is just saying like i have a lot more to Mm. give you and here's mary expanding her capacity mm-hmm. and to me that is that's the call of our faith life that's the call of of this season is can i just grow a little bit more expand mm. my capacity not to take it all in not to have it all figured out but can i make a little bit more room somehow for god and uh, tugwell goes on to say you know it's in vain to plead that it is that god is too big for us mm. Of course God is too big for us, he tells us. But we are all the same made for that which is too big for us. Mm. (laughs) We are made for God. We're made with the capacity for God. And so I think Mary, in her question, uh, opens up that path for us, I think, in a more uh, real way to just find ways to own the fact that we're favored by God 
uh, in this season, you know, be like the little kid on Sonic Claus's lap. They don't come up there and, oh, I'll take a candy cane and be happy. You know? Right. Somehow we, we, we have like visions of kids. We think, oh, isn't that so touching? They're so <laughs> humble. And it's like, I never remember sitting on Santa no. Claus's lap asking for that. I mean, I was asking for the world. You better believe it. <laughs> yes. And, and Jesus says, pray always, ask, and you, you know, you mm -hmm. shall receive. So I think in this season, when God is about to once again open up and pour out to us the fullness of God made flesh, uh, bring along more than a thimble. <laughs> yeah, bring along more than a thimble. You know, when I see Mary pose that question and then, of course, she responds, let it be done unto me, what amazes me is her lack of fear. Because I think at times, Father, when we sense that perhaps we are favored, that God really does love us, we correspondingly somehow think that we have to respond to that by doing something. And yes, God is calling us to become, as Kelly says, the best version of ourselves, as you talked about. But we often are, I think, interrupted by fear. And what I don't see in Mary is any fear. I mean, I mean, it's, we have these pictures of this angel appearing. I mean, to me, most of us would probably cower or try to grab a weapon or something thinking we were being attacked. It was a home invasion or something. <laughs> and yet, Mary, there is absolutely, in the text anyway, there is no fear. Yeah, I think of... Uh one of my favorite little cartoon stories we just had a couple of months ago is, uh, you know, Charlie Brown and the Great Pumpkin, and there's Linus waiting for the Great Pumpkin, and then all of a sudden there's this vision of something arising, and he's been waiting, you know, in the sincere pumpkin patch, and immediately as the creature is appearing, he passes out. Yeah. Well, most of us would have missed the whole Gabriel thing probably because we so. would have probably passed out right from the beginning. There wouldn't have even been a question. Or headed for the exit somewhere. Headed, headed for the exit, but there she is, Mary again, teaches us she stays in the moment. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't know what this is. What could this be? I can't figure it out. Uh, and isn't, I mean, isn't that us so many times? Mm. But what we do is we, we run from the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, even if it's sometimes something of great joy. Mm -hmm. um, because, oh, well, that can't be me. Uh, or, you know what, there's something, I know there's something bad right around the corner because joy, you know, Satan is always going to attack a moment of joy. And uh, there's some truth to that. But just stay in the moment. And I think that's her fears are allayed. There are some uh, depictions of Mary in religious art that do have her. A lot of times she's just very demure, uh, head bowed, book open, lily in hand, just kind of taking being overshadowed by the light. But there are a few renditions that I really enjoy that do have her uh, sort of clutching her heart with a, a look of surprise. I'm thinking, OK, well, that's in me a little bit more mm -hmm. real. Mm -hmm. But you can be surprised. And still just say, well, okay, how, how is this going to happen? But that, that lack of, of fear, and I think we know, uh, in, in, again, in life in general, um, but especially in the spiritual life, when we make decisions, and I look at my own life, when I have made a decision, big or small, that is mostly based on fear, it doesn't turn out well. No. Uh, it, it doesn't turn out well at all. So how to be able to enter into the events and situations of our lives uh, with a little less fear, I'll say, mm -hmm. you know, to be fearless, mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes we admire people for being fearless, but then they're really just bulls in China chops. Right. That's <laughs> they're, right. They're not showing trust. They're actually mm -hmm. trying to take more. They overcome their fear by taking absolute control of something. Mm -hmm. Mary is saying, remember, 
let it be done to me. Mm. I'm mm. not going to control it. I'm not going to try to manipulate it. Mm. I'm not going to enhance it. I'm just going to, okay, Lord, you said you wanted to do something. Okay, do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And then I'll see where the journey And it goes me. back again to what we mentioned about childlike faith is that she has trust in whatever she is being confronted by. And it's obvious that when the angel appears, the angel must have brought an environment that gave her a sense of that peace. And and I think that God does that for us at times, Father. I mean, you know, you talk to people who are going into major surgery. You've anointed people like this. And you just have to, as a minister, you're marveling at this person's peace, recognizing that they have real faith. Yeah, that the the angel, I think, brings, you talk about environment, and this is, I think, important too, is Mary, this is a singular moment event, but Mary is set in an environment. So she's set in the environment of what the angel brings, and really what the angel brings is the Lord is with you. What mm-hmm. more do you need to know? That's it. But at the same time, I think one of the other missing elements is, and this is a great challenge for us and our families and our cultures and our, our culture and our churches today, is Mary is already living, has been raised in an environment mm-hmm. where the promises of God have been made known to her. She's schooled in the word of God, mm-hmm. her parents, her grandparents. In other words, she's in a faith environment mm-hmm. that probably made her even more open to a moment like this than, unfortunately, probably some of us. And so I think as families, as parish communities, uh, as small faith communities, people will be able, each of us will be able to be more open to receive this favor of God when we create environments around us that nurture this. Uh, that that bring that. So it's not just the singular sacrament moment that does it or a moment in adoration, but it's when we're gathering as people of faith somehow to to keep creating environments so that when the Lord appears in maybe a little unique or different kind of way, we are actually ready for it. Mm-hmm. So this is the this is really the challenge of the faith in our day and our time is we are so bereft of environments that support God knocking at our door. And again, I see the real wisdom of the church. I'm growing in my appreciation for the wisdom of the church that we do have these liturgical seasons because it's not as if you, Father Ben, have to get up and then try to— it's already in place. Yeah, the you funny— know, the You funny, just have to facilitate what the church has already exactly. provided. Exactly. This is the funny thing. So here we are, generally overwhelmed or underwhelmed if we're in a bad spot right now. So we're generally overwhelmed. I wish that I could have some time, some space, some, some window that helps guide me. And the church is saying, hello, it's called Advent. It's three weeks plus long. There are all these beautiful opportunities. You can even just do it in the comfort of your own home with the scripture open in front of you. Mm-hmm. And we're, oh, I don't know where I'm going to find this. And, mm-hmm. and the, you know, here we are as a church. We're kind of waving our heads in front of people and saying, here's the, env- here's the kind of nurturing environment that will make these things that we're told are supposed to lift our spirits, they will actually lift our spirits. But So the environment is there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what God intends for us to celebrate his presence every day of the year, you know. But again, in the wisdom of the church, gives us an opportunity because I dare say I'm always struck by at Christmas Eve or Christmas Day Mass— I always try to position myself where I can receive the Lord somewhere near the nativity scene. 
because as I pass by that nativity scene, I have that moment, you know, where I really begin to kind of drink in what actually transpired some 2,000 years ago that has completely impacted my life and my eternal destiny. But at the same time, Father, you know, that moment can be realized throughout the season. You know, it's not as if I got to wait for that moment. You know, I can I can actually lead up to it by being more aware of his presence. So that will be an even richer. It's not as if I go up on Christmas Eve with a thimble. Right. You know, I want to go up with a van, right, right. you know, yeah. and, and experience the Lord in that way. Yeah, that's what we mentioned uh, last week in our opening uh, program about the season of Advent. Uh, Sister Joan Chittister, the Benedictine, said, if we miss Advent— we clearly run the risk of missing Christmas. Mm. So this is mm. our time to to expand our own hearts and and uh, the magnanimity that people generally seem to want to have at this time of year. So that when when that Nativity Day comes, uh, we're yeah we're we're there with bushel baskets mm-hmm. <laughs> ready mm-hmm. ready to receive receive grace. Uh, and it's happening every single day. Again, as Denise Levertov says in her poem, "Aren't there enunciations of one sort or another in everyone's life?" Mm. But am I going to be home <laughs> when the angel comes knocking? Uh, Henry Nouwen said, God wants to address every one of us every single day. Am I going to be at my address mm-hmm. when God mm-hmm. wants to share with me? Mm-hmm. We, we sort of have that kind of a fast food approach to everything. You know, I'm going to get the meal over so that I can go do something else. And if we would look at Advent a little differently, as we've been exploring what a richer experience it could be, not just something that is here and gone within a matter of maybe even 12 to 24 hours. Right, and it doesn't, again, I always remind people in the spiritual journey, it doesn't have to be great and wondrous things. It can be, more power to you. But if if there's a little something Mm -hmm. that we enter into or a way that we look at things or grab onto just one of the verses of Scripture or the verse of a song or, you know, spend some time in front of that Advent wreath or... You know, when you're wrapping the present or you're bringing your angel tree gift to the church, it's not like, oh, my God, I got to bring the, you know, gift to the church. I got to drop that off. I toss it out the window under the pile of presents. But I walk it in. I look at the name. I, I, I think about, you know, Lord, be with the person that this gift, this child, the gift that's going to sometimes just that can can make the whole season come alive. So it doesn't have to be, you know, yeoman uh, efforts or some kind of super powered activity. It can be something very small. Well, what a blessing it's been, Father Ben, to look at the question that Mary poses in Luke chapter 1 and then concludes, let it be done unto me according to thy word. Next week, we're going to look at the next question posed by Mary's cousin Elizabeth, again from Luke chapter 1. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Lord, we thank you for this gift of Advent. We thank you for the adventing of your Son always coming toward us. We pray that the power of your word and the gift of the sacraments might continue to open us to truly embrace your Son, who is Word made flesh. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.